Welcome to the Inside Edge. The Blue Jackets last night losing in Toronto 4-2 to the Maple Leafs. A very respectable game we'll talk about here in just a minute. Also coming up, we're going to do a deep roster dive here in just a few minutes and really break down the positions in the players the Blue Jackets have and who they might have in the future at those positions. And Mike Zeisberger, who writes for NHL.com, is going to join us and give us a league overview before we're done here. So, Jody, let's start with last night, the 4-2 to loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, good storyline in the game. Jet Greaves gets called up. Uh, he's been up before, but he's never played in a game in the NHL. He started in goal last night. Um, really played well, quite frankly. Uh, he gave up three goals, stopped 46 of 49 shots, I think it was, when it was all said and done. He was a busy guy, uh, didn't get the win, which is unfortunate for him, but the Blue Jackets played a respectable game. So here's what I want to ask you to start off. Since we're going to go into that roster dive here in a couple of minutes, let's just talk in generalities right now. You look at this team, and you go back to the Boston game. This is when the roster really started to, to fall off with the injuries and, and the illness at the time to Adam Boquist. You look at the Boston game. Not a great roster. They go in there, they battle to overtime, and then lose to the Bruins. Come back home against the Florida Panthers. That one's not good whatsoever. Florida runs them out of the building 7 to nothing. But they come right back the next day, fight to tie the game late in the third period, and then win in overtime against Ottawa. Then they come up here uh, to Toronto, and they do the same thing. They're right in the game all the way through. How is it that sometimes the roster gets weaker, but the team play gets stronger? You know, I think they have enough skill in the lineup that if you let them hang around and if they are able to keep the teams that don't respect them on the outside because where they are in the standings, because the talk now is all the teams that are playing or pushing for playoff points, they have a weaker schedule. And, and you know, that's a human nature thing. They buy into that, so they think, oh, this is going to be a point night. But the Blue Jackets have enough skill. Johnny Goodrow, Marchenko, Kent Johnson, their power play can be dangerous. Their top players can be dangerous. But they also have enough will with Sean Corrali, Boone Jenner, and these goaltenders who are trying to prove themselves. And when you're, in a, when you're in a locker room and you understand the situation, let's go through the goalies. Hutchinson, trying to regenerate his career, was a third goalie in, in Vegas' farm team, didn't have a net for practice for most of the year. Comes in, great guy, works hard. You kind of rally around that. John Gillies comes in. He hasn't played in a year uh, in the NHL. There's a rallying point there with all these different games. And then, of course, Jack Greaves last night in his hometown. Uh, there was just – he's an athlete. He played so well. They, the energy was there for the team. And there, the, there's a system that they play in the defensive zone that you're starting to see Kent Johnson, Kirill Marchenko, uh, these younger players that come in, Josh Dunn. They play the same system down in Cleveland. So they can adapt to that. And, and as a player, when you have a baseline – whether you're Jack Reeves last night and you can go in and be like, okay, I'm, I could be overwhelmed with playing in Toronto, my hometown, at the Air Canada Centre, which is like the dream building for him to play in, in the National Hockey League for his first game. He could be overwhelmed, but he has a baseline as a goalie of three things. I was talking to Hutchinson about this yesterday that he can just rely on. And I think as a player, if you have – so let's take Josh Dunn, for example. If he knows in the defensive zone as a centerman – uh, one responsibility or maybe two, and then in the neutral zone, if he's got it in his mind to get a deep, and then in the offensive zone, go forecheck and try to get open. Well, you know, those things, that is hard to play against. And, and it's So when you have that structure in the middle of the ice where Toronto wants to attack and they took it away 
pretty good last night. They did it against Boston, too. But both those teams are not firing on high-octane playoff desperate hockey, where Florida was. And that's where you saw a game where they were not only chasing it, they, they couldn't get organized, and then they just were spinning their wheels. So that's my that's what I how I see it, Bob, is that the skill plus the structure plus the, the will of the leaders brings it all to where, hey, they can stand in there in any fight right now. I'm glad you brought up Josh Dunn because in our deep roster dive, I didn't have him on my list to talk about, but I do want to talk about him with you right now. He, he gets uh, to come up again. He's had a couple of opportunities. came right out of college and came here and he played. Uh, he, he's played after being in the American Hockey League now a couple of times. He's become a more noticeable player in these last few games, hasn't he? He's been the most consistent player in Cleveland from what it sounds like. He's starting to figure out his role. He's a big guy. I mean, when you stand and talk to him, all he does is smile and tower over you. He's six foot five or close to it. So he's, he's now figured out that there is a hole in the lineup with a physical presence, and he's trying to make an effort to do that and not take penalties. And, and so, yeah, in this lineup, he's found, that, he's found that presence, and it could be effective, uh, and it has been effective for him because, you know, he's running into players in, in the offensive zone. He's rattling the boards, which I, I love that. I mean, at least rattle the boards if you get called out. Get up there and show that you if you didn't hit the guy – at least he, he knows that he was probably going to end up in the fourth row if you made contact with him. And, and so, yeah, I think these guys, him, you know, the first two games he, he did have one or two hits, but now he's starting to settle in. And, and maybe the coaches are talking to him and saying, hey, this is your chance. Like, this is a chance. Look at Gavin Bayreuther. This is, this is your chance to do this. Uh, try to take advantage of it. And Josh Dunn doing all that at the center position, yeah. which makes it even more important for this team in particular. Yeah, but, you know, when we talk about uh, how the team looks and how it could look, well, now you almost look at some of these prospects where you do get all these draft picks and where do they fit in? You know, where, where are they going to fit in? So, it, it, you know, is there a spot for him? I'm not sure, but uh, it's almost these these last five games. He's got to make sure that it's a really hard decision uh, going into the offseason and, and be ready to, to improve on that in the preseason and training camp. I like what you said about Jet Greaves' athletic because he moved a lot in the crease last night, but it was controlled movement. It wasn't like he was uh, all over the place. He he was moving with a purpose, and that helped him to be in position to make saves. You know, he's only 22 years old, and I agree with you. I thought he was really quick with his hands. Uh, he was concise with his movements, and you could tell he's he's um, comfortable and confident with his game. And when, when you think about it, like, that's the advice you get from the coaches. That's the advice you get from uh, your team, older teammates is just to go out there and play your game. And I thought that's exactly what it did. And I thought that was impressive right away. His first shot was from Austin Matthews. After two periods, Nylander, Matthews, and Marner had 10 shots on net. None went in. Uh, I know um, Matthews got that empty net goal, but, you know, he wasn't in the net for that. So he's got to be really proud with his first start of, of uh, a lot of things that he took care of. I asked him about that after the game. I said, you know, he's trying to say, well, it's just another game once you get going. And I go, look, Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Nylander. I go, it's not just another game. No. And uh, and then somebody said to him, well, your first save was against Matthews. And he goes, yeah, I did notice that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, and that's great. And it shows you the awareness, right? And, and we don't – I don't understand the goalie position, but when I talk to goaltenders or former goaltenders about it, it's fascinating what they have to process in a short period of time. So he's got to be able to assess where. And your son was a goaltender, so you saw it from you saw the game from a different way. And 
he has to process who's on the ice, who could be a threat, where the puck is, and then what his next move might be. So a lot of reads there in a short period of time, and it happened early. Yeah, and with Toronto, your reads are everybody's dangerous. Yeah. And, and most of the top two lines, everybody's dangerous. You almost have to focus on the puck but have that uh, big-picture view from from your from the crease to be aware of what exactly is happening. And one of those goals, unfortunate, was off of a deflection out high. But I give McCabe, the defenseman who had the puck, a lot of credit. And if you watch Toronto, they're all on the same page in the offensive zone. If they don't have a clear shot that's dangerous towards the net in a in a dangerous angle, which is closer to the net, then they make that pass. It's almost like a shot pass deflection in front. McCabe waited for the screen to get there. Then he took the shot. You know, I mean, how many times do you see a shot taken? The goalie just gobbles it up, and then the whistle blows, and you've really got nothing out of it. They're a team that's on the same page of saying, don't waste a shot. And and that was a goal that I know it was a fluky bounce, but it was a good play of McCabe to wait for that screen to be in front of Greaves. That's why he was on their list, and they wanted to get him. Good player in Buffalo last year. Went to uh, Chicago this year, and uh, and now he's here or with Toronto, uh, looking to make a long playoff run. All right, coming up in just a bit, we're going to talk with Mike Zeisberger, and uh, we will cover the NHL with him because he writes for NHL.com. But next, we're going to do a deep roster dive on the Blue Jackets by position, by personnel. All of that as the Inside Edge continues here on 97.1 The Fan. Welcome back to the Inside Edge. I want to remind you the 2023-24 Blue Jackets ticket plans are on sale right now. They started just 11 games. You could choose the seats and the games that you want, and you can save up to 28% in the process. For details, go to bluejackets.com slash ticket plans. Well, Jody, uh, you know, we've talked about where the Blue Jackets are, what's going on. We've been doing this for a long, long time, and now there have been 77 games played out of the 82 on the Blue Jackets schedule, and you know what you have here. At least I think for Yarmo and the the staff here, the only good thing that comes out of this season, depending upon where you figure, finish in the draft lottery, by the way, I sh- I'll say that. The other good thing that comes out of this is you've seen almost every player that could be in the future plans. It's already in the system. I'm not talking about the Denton Matei Chucks that are still playing junior hockey and that kind of stuff. But, you know, you're – You've got to see everybody who's in Cleveland. Uh, you've brought in guys like Hunter McCown out of Colorado College that you signed as a free agent. Uh, of course, and Kulamans is now in the system playing in Cleveland. They're getting a look at him in the American Hockey League. So when it comes time to evaluate this summer, uh, there's going to be no lack of information on the players in the system, is there? No, I don't think so. And, and you know, you, you have to be – you have to see the silver lining in the season, and I think that's what it is. I think that now you've seen, and I'll take Kent Johnson and Kirill Marchenko as examples of, you know, Kent Johnson could not make the opening night roster, and now he's, because of necessity, he's on the number one power play uh, last night in Toronto. And you look at those things and you think of the growth, and, you know, initially when you see a player, you think, oh, he's, Maybe not strong enough. Maybe he needs another year of seasoning. Maybe he needs to get stronger in the offseason, which will all happen. But when you're in the National Hockey League watching these kids play the most hockey they've ever played in their life as far as games played and battling night in after night out with some of the top defensemen, goaltenders, uh, defenders, you learn a lot. And I think we've learned a lot about Kent Johnson. He's got a very good stick. He's strong on his stick. He's got good balance, and, you know, he's a guy that won't go away. So I, I think that, for example, shows us a lot about a player that we didn't know a lot about coming into the season, but because of the opportunity that he's got, 
there's something there in a top six role. And and when I look at the top six, I think Marchenko is another one of those guys. I mean, he's got 21 goals this year. He's talking about 60 maybe at some point in his career. So, you know, that's exciting. But but that in that comes a problem. You can only have six top six players. You know what I mean? And And maybe you have a couple guys that could play in that third line, but there will be pieces that maybe at some point here need to be moved along. And maybe those are assets that can be used to acquire different pieces that might be available. We've seen Yarmo pull off some great trades in the off season. Uh, and I, he, he's always done that very well. He, he stood pat at the deadline and, and there was no, you know, he made moves. He had to move, had to make uh, with Corpusalo and Gavrikov. And those are two big pieces in this organization. When you think of the direction they were going to start the season. So, it's very interesting, and, and I think that that is, that is something that we've learned about the organization is because, you know, we, we've seen 77 games, but we also are in tune with what they do in the offseason as drafting, not only last offseason, the previous one, and you hear about these players, but until you see them in the National Hockey League, you really don't get a sense of what might be possible. And so for these players now this year, they're to have the experience. Think about Tim Burney. We didn't know really where Tim Burney was in the depth chart until he came up and he got to play with Good Branson and he, he learned so much and he learned so much every shift with Good Branson. So there's decisions to be made and I think that's a good problem for a team that doesn't want to be in this position ever again. Here is the big question I want to ask you because a lot of people have started asking me this. I don't know the answer to this question, but it's the goaltending because we could talk about all the forwards, and you were just saying you've got a plethora of forwards right now the way it is. The defense, it still needs fine-tuned. There still needs to be additions there. But the goaltending, uh, last night Jed Greaves became the sixth goalie to play in a game this year for the Blue Jackets, and that is a team record. They've never had more than five that had a play throughout the course of a season. So you're at six. Again, you've seen everybody. You've brought guys in from the outside, Michael Hutchinson, came here in a trade. John Gillies came here in a trade. Daniel Tarasov has played here, and he's been hurt a lot. Elvis Merzlikens has been uh, the ultimate can't figure out. We can't figure out what's going on with him. I don't know if he can figure out what's going on with him. And obviously, if you're going to be good, and if you're going to get to the playoffs, and if you're going to go deep into the playoffs, that is a prime position you've got to be good at. What do you see when you look at the goaltending in this organization? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I have the hesitation. Tarasov can't stay healthy this season and it's one of those things that you know you see Elvis have his struggles and it's been an off year for him you would hope that that would mean an opportunity for Tarasov to jump in but he hasn't been able to get his footing on that and you know he's not the first goalie to go through seasons of struggling with with injuries I mean that's the reality of that position in the National Hockey League for a lot of guys in their career uh, that don't get their opportunity and so you hope that he gets healthy. You hope that he learns and can come in and battle and play 50 games next year. But as we sit here now, you just don't know. So you almost look at it and say they need a veteran guy, kind of that safety blanket, maybe like that Jonathan Quick who was here on a trade. Just as an example to say, you know, you know, we know we're going to get 35 good games out of you, solid games, but we also want you to be able to, push and help this younger kid grow because really when you look at everybody they're young now in saying that when you look at the contract uh how the contracts are laid out you would appear that elvis is the number one so maybe you send him on his way and say okay listen it's been a tough season you've had to deal with a lot in the last couple years are you ready to come back and be the number one and if you you know if if he can do that uh, you have to 
you, you, if you have faith in him, if, in him last year, do you still have the faith in him this year? So there's a lot there. I thought he played better after, he, you know, the 10-day 10, 10 break. And, again, he just couldn't stay in that net. So it, it is the biggest question mark in the organization. There's no question, question, question. And <laughs> But, you know, it's something that has to be sured up. But I don't think there's a simple answer, obviously, by the way I just answered it. Yeah, and, and it's the contract. It's the Elvis contract. You know, if uh, that was a little bit more manageable, maybe you'd say, okay, well, Maybe you have to use him in a deal, and you have to you have to make a deal. You have to send him on his way, or but that's going to be tough to do at the money that he's making with the numbers that he has. Unfortunately, so yes, I think the best bet is you've got to send him home and say, "Look, man, you got to put this together over the summer. When you come to training camp, you've got to be a different guy and and cross your fingers and hope in some ways with that." But you're right that the model that you were just talking about it's the old Curtis McElhaney model when Sergey Bobrovsky was here. Right, you knew Sergey was going to play. 65 games and I need you to play 17 games and guess what it's unfair but I need you to be dead on every time I put you in there to start because we need those points that that given night but uh, so many teams in the NHL well some teams are start it's starting to become a split thing now but you got to find the right guys to get that 60-40 split right and the right system if you look at Barry Trotz he you know he had Thomas Grice in there and and really and he had Robin Leonard and he rejuvenated their careers with the system they played. So you know, there's a way to do it, but are you willing to play that ultimate defensive hockey? I don't think that's fair to Johnny Goodrow and Patrick Laine. You have to have the balance of the team. So it would be nice to have the Bobrovsky-like, but I think he is another guy, too, that benefited from John Tortorella's system. I really do. I think that he understood how the defensemen were playing in front of him, and I think the centermen did a great job, and the forwards were blocking shots. I think there was a buy-in there in front of him, and that, that helped him. But there's also that sense of you, you sleep better at night knowing that your goaltender position is taken care of and you can move on from there. Because, you know, when you look at the defense, there's been some players out this year, and, and Zach Wierenski is obviously the big one. But, you know, Jake Bean came in and looked pretty good. Like, he looked like he was ready to take another step. And But there's still holes there. You've got Goodbranson who's come in now. You know where he can play. He's probably that 5'6 guy. But... He could play up on the lineup. Andrew Peake took some steps. Uh, Blankenberg, can he stay healthy? So so there are some pieces there now. You've learned a little bit about players and, and, and where they can fit and what they can handle. Uh, but, but still, I mean, I don't know if there's one position in the organization besides Corrali and Jenner that are and, and Johnny Goodrow that are bringing a consistent kind of, okay, that's taken care of uh, notion to the lineup. Yeah, when you say those three guys – those three guys have just been consistent. I know you can look at Johnny Gaudreau's numbers. If you compare them to what he did last year, they pale in comparison. But, you know, he went into the game last night against Toronto as the leading scorer on this team with 71 points. Uh, I mean, he has just been there. He missed a couple of games because he was banged up. But every time he's in the lineup, he's just there. Sometimes he's quiet. Sometimes he's loud. Uh, you know, look at the other night. He fed Marchenko off that steal in overtime. Uh, a perfect pass for him. And I know it hasn't been the season that Johnny's wanted to endure. But my point is, he's still being himself. He's still almost a point-of-game player. You know, I've really learned to have an appreciation for Johnny Goodrow and, you know, he came into a situation as the big free agent signing. There was a disappointment off the start, and I think there was a dip in the season, maybe the middle third where, you know, the human nature element of the sport took over where, you know, what is happening? 
Like last year was so easy. This is unbelievable. I'm now playing with my 12th line mate of the season. You know, who's on the power play? But I think once he got over that, he got back to just playing the game, playing hockey. And I think for players, when you see, you know you're out of the playoffs, you see the end of the season, you want to do your best, you want to set personal goals, you want to help the team. I think he's taken on more as a leader. And when you get traded to a team or picked up as a free agent to a new environment, you know, he did have the advantage of, of walking in with Good Branson, but you want to know how it works there. Like, what what's happening? Like, what do we, you know, how do we work here? How does this work? What? And I think he's now accepting the role, or, or he got to it quicker, of saying, well, there's, Wierenski's out, uh, veterans are out from time to time, Jenner was out. There was all these times of the year where, you know, you look around, you've got 19-year-old Cole Sillinger, you've got 21-year-old Ken Johnson, you've got these uh Blankenberg just starting his career. You got all these pieces, and they're all looking at you, Johnny. So I think that that's helped him because to me, he could be a piece, a, a star that could just hang on the outside and let everyone else, especially in Calgary. There were some big names there that could take all that, you know, be the leadership and, and be the focal point of the locker room. I think it's been a, a very encouraging thing for him, just watching him and doing what he does on the ice and picking up points driving moments in games, but also understanding that he's got to have an impact with a lot of these young guys for now that will lead into more success in the future. I think that's one of those elements of him that I've been impressed with most. And last year he played with Elias Lindholm, and that was another thing. You know, he and Lindholm and Matthew Kachuk all had ridiculous numbers of points. They were fantastic. This year he comes in, he's playing with Boone Jenner, who, you know, is the number one centerman on this team. Would he be on a lot of teams? Probably not, but on this team, he is. And he's made Boone Jenner. He's helped Boone Jenner. Now, look, Boone might have got to 30 goals if he was healthy last year, but he might get to 30 goals again this year. And what a step this guy has taken. Johnny's been a big part of that, too, having him on the line. I'm sure it is. But, you know, Boone Jenner, a couple of years ago when he scored 30, people thought it was a fluke. He's showing it is nothing like a fluke. It amazes me that Boone Jenner is doing what he's doing. I mean – it's incredible. We know he brings the effort, but he's underrated with his skating ability. He's underrated with his hockey sense in the defensive zone, his strength on pucks, how he shoots the puck. It's hard to score goals in the National Hockey League, let alone with one of the worst teams in the league. Um, but he's done it each and every night. And, and for him to be consistent in this environment tells you everything we already knew. You know, he's, he's, he is the leader of the team. He is the guy that drives it every night. And... I hope he gets 30. I just hope there's no game winners mixed in there. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know. I know. I, I, because I've been saying this this week, and Corrali goes on the same page, right? Yes. Like, these, are the, these are the kind of players that you want, the players that are going to give it all. They're going to do whatever they can to win, but maybe you don't want that right now. And I just mean if you really want the best chance at the number one overall pick, these guys have no off switch. And you saw it the other night in the game against Ottawa. The puck pops out into the circle, 3-2 to two lead for the Senators, and Boone Jenner's off the bench, and bam, that thing's in the back of the net. They're, they're not going to assess the situation. The only situation is what's going on right now and how can we win. That's how those two guys are wired. And, and the other guy is Marchenko. Like, this guy is a competitor, and, and those guys, I don't, wor I don't worry about those guys. You know what I mean? Like, those guys are going to be there and be drivers as far as what they are, and they're going to be growing. And, and we've watched Bo Boone Jenner grow every year. And you've got to be extremely proud as a fan of the team of, that you have that piece in, in Jenner and Corral. Let's put them together because this is a trying year for a professional to, to see uh, veteran guys go out of the lineup, 
frustrating shifts back to back situations where you know you you don't feel like you're getting momentum the season maybe drags on but boy I tell you they just come out and keep coming and keep coming and those are those are the people you get you get four or five guys like that and then you have the talent around them those guys are still the drivers those guys like the character guys Wrenski's to me is a character guy Jenner uh Corrali I'm going to throw Marchenko in there. I I just because well that's good because now you're already at four. Yeah, out of but your I five. would add a couple more guys. I would. You, this is just me throwing yeah. spitballing. But when you have a nucleus of players that are self-driven but also team-driven, then the, the the guys that are need to be brought along. It's easier for everybody. And and I think that he's got so much credibility in the locker room. It's a special environment. I just think he needs some support. So, again, that's another thing that might come out of this quote-unquote lost season. Guys figuring out roles and where they're going to be. Johnny Gaudreau, as you said, accelerating into a leadership role. Sean Corrales, it's just his second year here. He came in the same way last year, right? I mean, it was, yeah, this is my hometown team, and I played a long time for the Bruins, but there's other guys in here that I'm going to wait and I'm going to take a backseat to. No more backseats. And that's interesting because when you look at Sean Corrales and and he's used to a winning pedigree. I've seen some frustration out of him a little bit, and I, it's in a good place. You know, there there's an amount of frustration you should, I think you can show as a leader, and I think Sean's got the balance of saying, I care so much that that puck went in the net when I was on the ice, and that's why I'm frustrated. And, and you know, it, it's he takes a lot of pride in face-offs and defensive zone responsibility, but you, and but he doesn't let it fall in his game that well, you know we're a little bit the players I'm playing with for this shift don't really know the D zone and it, it's fast out there you know he won't let that creep into his game and I, I love that about leadership where it's saying no this is the greatest challenge of my career I've been on a team that was talking about playoffs every year I was here in the Boston Bruins I play with some of the best players in the league that's not the situation I'm in and and so for him to, to I don't know if it's accept the challenge, but kind of deal with the challenge. That's another thing. And and these are things, it's amazing, right? We're talking about these things now, but this is what you look for in this group. This is what you look for is like what drives you under situations that you're not winning and, and you're at the bottom and you're not going to be in the playoffs and you're not having success, but what's driving you? These are the things you have to know. The answers to these questions are important when you're building for next year, when the guys are coming back into the lineup, when you're adding, when you're bringing guys up from the American Hockey League, all of those things. So uh, that's where the Blue Jackets are right now, but it's not about right now. It's about where are they going to be starting in that training camp next year. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Mike Zeisberger. He writes for NHL.com, and uh, he's a character. Oh, he's awesome. <laughs> all right, we're going to bring him in as the Inside Edge continues here on 97.1 The Fan. Welcome back to the Inside Edge. I want to ask you to join us for the Fifth Line Celebration presented by Schmitz as the Blue Jackets take on the Rangers on Saturday night at 7 o'clock at Nationwide Arena. The first 10,000 fans get a Fifth Line flag, and the pregame plaza party starts at 5 o'clock. Live music from Cousin Simple, games, and much more. For tickets, go to bluejackets.com slash plaza. Mike Zeisberger is with us right now. He's from NHL.com. After that, don't you wish we were in Columbus on Saturday for the big party that's going to go on? I always love coming to Columbus, and I'm not saying that just because you're having me on, because uh, 
you've you know I haven't got my free gifts yet or anything so there's no reason for me to be no I, I love going to Columbus and it's great seeing you guys uh, I haven't seen you since uh, Finland great time there other than the scores for the blue jacket fans, we had great break we had great post-game breakdown yes after those <laughs> that's, games that's, that's right <laughs> the analysis was second to none but yes. guys thank you so much for having me on it's our pleasure. I mean, uh, let's go back to Finland a little bit because w- once everyone came out of that, what, what did you think of that entire experience for the, mostly the two teams? I just thought it was awesome. Uh, I remember the, the, the one day where uh, the entire Avalanche team uh, went in one of the saunas right right next to the sea, and they went in the sauna, and then they jump into the water, and they got out twice as quick as they went in because uh, that ocean water is cold. But, no, I thought it was wonderful. And and one of the memories that I will take back from there is uh, the first game that they played and Miko Rantanen scoring his hat-trick goal. And, you know, people over here cheer, and we know, like, especially, you know, in Columbus College football and, and things like that. But to have the entire arena singing his name for a guy that, you know, let's let's be honest. When the, when the, when those guys were growing up, the Lackanens and and the Lyonnais, um and Rantanens, for them, you know, the dream may have been to play in the National Hockey League, but you don't have a dream that one day you'll be playing an NHL game in or near your home town, let alone in your home country, because those things didn't really exist when those guys were growing up. So. To see Rantanen after that game and the tears coming out of his face, you know, trickling down his cheek. And as we know, uh, Finns, for the most part, aren't the most emotional uh, people. It just, it kind of struck a, a chord with me and, you know, cut through the fact that, that this was more about hockey. This was about an experience. And even the guys that you talk to on both teams, um, you know, that, that weren't from Europe, you know, weren't from Scandinavia, had never been there before. They all talked about the experience. They didn't talk about the individual games. They talked about the experience. And I think it was great. And, you know, uh, I would love to see the league keep doing it. And I think that there there are plans in place that they will. That's very well said. And you know what? Um, it's It brings a great light on it. But I want to tell you, we, we're happy to have you on because – we did, to go back off the top of the show, we enjoyed catching up with you on the quiet times. You know what I mean? Time when we could sit back in a Define restaurant. Define quiet. Well, not many people around. You could talk low volume. The clinking of glasses <laughs> were the loudest noise. Yes. Lights weren't very bright. Lots of good <laughs> hockey talk to yes, kick off the exactly. early part of the season. Exactly. But, uh, you know, you talk about uh, that and the international experience. What's going on with this Australia thing that the, the league's talking about? And are they going to pull this off? And are the teams that they want to go going to go and, and play in these games? Well, I'm the last person to know, believe it or not, because they seem to keep these things close to the vest. But I think that there's there's have been enough reports out there, you know, a lot of times where there's smoke, there's fire. I don't know if this is actually going to happen or not. If it does... I think that's pretty cool. I think that it's it's great to to share the game uh, with the rest of the world. And and I know the comparison I'm not gonna I'm gonna make right now is apples and oranges, but from hockey and baseball. But when you saw the crowds in Japan for the World Baseball Classic, 
okay? And obviously, you know, I would equate that to maybe hockey in Scandinavia because they do play it there, whereas Australia, they would be going into a, a new market. But when you see the enthusiasm for a sport, when everybody else is saying, like, you know, people in the U.S., oh, this is just kind of an exhibition series and, and you know, does it really matter? And then you go out and see how many people in Japan watch those games on television. I think that globalizing a sport uh, can't do anything but help it make it make it better because you're getting uh, talent, um, you know, talented athletes, maybe not specific growing up playing baseball or hockey, but you're integrating them into the sport. So you bring something like uh, hockey to Australia, who knows where it, uh, where, where it might lead. Should they be? Should they decide that they're going to have games there? I know a buddy of mine from uh, Ajax, who uh, Ajax Whitby, which is just uh, a little bit east of Toronto here, Kerry Goulet, who's good friends with the Primo family and that. Uh, he just got a job a few months ago as the head coach of the Melbourne Ice. Um, so the fact that they they play the sport there is probably kind of that that little thing that tugs at people's interest. And then t- if they should go, and, and we saw when they played in China too, you know, they had full arenas. Doesn't necessarily mean that, that by the next year you're going to get kids into the league from there, but I don't think, I can't see how, a negative from that. So um, from a personal point of view, I hope the league does go there. You might see an, uh, an Australian crying someday. Yeah, yeah. You, Lifting you the might, Stanley Cup. Who are knows? they going to sing? They're, Australia they're gonna... for preseason or for a regular season game instead of Finland? That would be quite a trip, Bob. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you need three you know, weeks. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you got yeah, then you come home and you got back to backs on the West Coast. Right? <laughs> yeah, and you think Nashville and Columbus and Colorado had a time of of adjusting <laughs> coming back. I mean, that yeah, was, yeah. But I want to ask you about. What's your view of the Blue Jackets right now from where you sit? Because you're, you know, you're far away from it, but I know you're in tune with it. Well, I mean, any team, I like some of the young players that they've integrated into the, into the lineup. I think, you know, given the uncertainty uh, and how fluid the situation is, that you look and you go, wow, uh, I didn't know that Johnny Goudreau has put up the numbers that he's had. Um the fact that you have a, a, a player like that that is committed for the long term, not only on the ice but for his family in that, that that's going to be, if you're going to go ahead and move ahead like they want to, I think it's very important that you have a person like that there. And when he's managed to be healthy, we've seen flashes from Line. Um, you know, and I kind of find it a little ironic that now in Winnipeg there's uh, you know, rumors at least about what's going to happen with Dubois. Dubois, and is he going to move again? And all of a sudden, again, to the where there's smoke, there's fire thing, where, you know, the the little that I've been able to talk to Line since he's been in Columbus, he actually enjoys it. And I think that's very important, you know. Like, you've got to have guys, especially your top-tier guys, they have to want to be in certain markets, okay? Look it. I mean, if you put put out there, like, how many guys want to play in Vegas? How many guys want to play, say, in Florida? You're going to get a lot of guys that just for the lifestyle, for the weather and stuff like that. But there's certain markets, like Toronto and Montreal. Not everybody can can 
put up with the pressure. So I think you have to be pragmatic in your research of what players you bring here because some guys can't hack it, okay? Then there's other markets, you know, um, Columbus, let's face it, it's not Chicago, um, you know, but there's going to be a segment of the population of players that, that like the rabid fan base, that like the direction the team is going, like the family life. Um, and you see that, you know, you guys, and I'm not comparing Columbus to Buffalo, but in terms of you need horses for courses, you know, there was all that time in Buffalo where it was like Jack Eichel didn't really want to be there. Well, then they brought in a guy like Alex Tuck who grew up a Sabres fan and wants to be there. It was his dream to be there. So I think that in a lot of these cases, and you asked me about, about Columbus, um, you have to look as a general manager for fit for people that want to play in your market. And you know what? I mean, whether it's fair or not, it's the reality. Um, and I would show that, throw that over to you, Shelley, because, I mean, you played. How much of a factor is that? You know what? I think it is, if you're coming from Europe, from Russia, like Panarin, and you have a choice, you know, I always say, if I'm going to go to Russia, I'm going to play in St. Petersburg or Moscow, yep. because that's what I know. So I don't, I don't take anything away from that decision, but I agree. There's, a, there's something about Columbus that appeals to a lot of the National Hockey League, and I think that once they get there, they realize yep. it. But I also think that you're right. There, the fit is the fit. And I don't know many players. I mean, when you're an unrestricted free agent and you can choose where you want to yep. go, you have options. Of course you go through it with your family and, and figure out what's best for you. But it's becoming more appealing. And getting players like Johnny Goodrow opens the yep. door. Zach Wierenski signs a long-term contract. You know, Seth Jones, does he wish he signed that contract now? There's those different things, those factors. But I think if you're consistent and stay with it, which I think the Columbus market is and that whole community is, yep. it's there's something about that that catches the eye of, all right, you know, there's something there. Well, I and I just think that, you know, the game day experience, although – you know, I have mentioned to Ken Hitchcock on numerous occasions where where I would like to aim that cannon sometimes since it was his idea. But the cannon not We was, love it, Mike. Come uh, on, Big Z. Uh not I don't I don't I don't do well with loud noises. Okay? Johnny Goodrow said the same thing. <laughs> he likes it now. <laughs> he likes it now. He probably wears earplugs. No. Come on. No, he's too busy celebrating. It's but I do have to admit the little things that come up on Twitter of first-time visiting writers in the box, and people will video them yeah. after Columbus scores, and the looks on their faces as they jump about three feet off their chairs, that's priceless. So they can keep the cannon just for that reason. But, no, um, I remember going to Columbus when the, when they first got the team, and, you know, it it's one of the most beautiful arenas in the, ra- in, in, in the league. But... Beyond that, what they've done with that area, it's it's kind of changed the entire, I don't know, where people want to go uh, for nightlife, for, for the buzz. Um, it's it's, it's kind of changed the geography of the entire city. That goes to show you what a hockey city, not only it's become, but it is now. And I think that, again, I think that's appealing for, for players because they want to go where people give, you know, people give a bleep about the sport of hockey. What if they get Connor Bedard? 
Well, they better start putting more direct flights from Toronto to Columbus because I know I'll be down there for a while. But, <laughs> no, a, a special, special, special player. Um, you know, I know a lot of, a lot of you know, the bottom teams are kind of looking, going like, you know, praying to the ping pong ball gods. Please land the way that we want it. But, you know, um, from talking to scouts, and I don't know the specific so much of the of of the off the top of my head the specific players but most scouts have said that this is one of the best drafts when you go 1 to 8 or 1 to 10 and so you know i would say to columbus fans out there yeah look i mean bedard is the the jewel you know it's the pearl and the oyster but if columbus doesn't get bedard there's a lot of franchise i don't i don't know if i say changing players but franchise altering or contributing players in the next three or four picks um, that could be very, very interesting. So um, don't, if it happens, great. You know, it's, it's, it's reason to party. If it doesn't, don't be, don't be too gutted because there's a lot of good players there who, as I was told one scouts, there's drafts where, two or three of these kids could go first overall. It just wasn't in a year that Connor Bedard was available. Talking with Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com here on the Inside Edge. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more of the conversation after this on 97.1 The Fan. We're talking with Mike Zeisberger of NHL.com, and we're talking to you in Toronto, so I've got to ask you, the Toronto Maple Leafs, last time we were in Toronto until this time we're in Toronto, this is a completely different Toronto Maple Leafs team. Uh, the the trades that they made, the people that they brought in. I'll just ask you very pointedly, is this a year that the Toronto Maple Leafs get past the first round of the playoffs? Well, I believe that they can. I, I think that there's a lot of wear on the Tampa tires. But we just looked, you know, we're up in the press box at Foster, Pew, uh, Foster Hewitt Gondola here at uh, Scotiabank Arena. And if, if we look down to our right, we see the goal crease that the Leafs guard for two out of three periods. And that's going to be, no matter how much worn down you think Tampa is, okay, they still have that goalie, okay? Um, And we know that that goalie, in terms of Vasilevsky, who to me is still the best goalie in the league, can be the difference maker in a series. Uh, I think Samsonov has played really well this year, and I think he deserves a shot. And... The other aspect of it, I mean, it's going to come down to that. And if that's a cop-out by me, so be it. But it is, especially when you're going up against Vasilevsky. Your goaltender has to at least give you a chance. But the other thing is, when you talk about the Maple Leafs of the Toronto, um, the makeup of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and you'll like this, how I segue back into Columbus here. Um, We don't have to go that far back, guys. What was it, 2019, where Columbus swept Tampa? What's happened to Tampa in the next three years? They went to the final every single year. The next year, Julian Brisbois used a, a first-round pick for Barkley Goudreau. He used a first-round pick for, uh, now I'm... Uh, Coleman? Coleman. Coleman, okay. And I remember being in Tampa at the time saying that, you know, to Julian, off the record, you've given up a lot for these two guys. And he said, I'm not worried about draft capital. Our scouts went over everybody in the league who might be available and said, 
which are the guys that we need to kind of fill in the puzzle which we don't have, which they didn't have, right? Okay, against Columbus. All right, they they didn't have the grinders. They didn't have the guys that could uh, cycle the puck. They were more of a flash and dash type team. Well, look at the guys that Toronto brought in: Ryan O'Reilly and uh, Achiari. Uh, you know, guys guys of that nature: Luke Shen, uh, McCabe on the back end. These are guys that are going to get in your face. They're going to go into the greasy areas where goals are scored in the playoffs. And I really do think that in that aspect, they're a much better team, and they've taken a a page out of the script of Tampa after Tampa lost to the Blue Jackets and said, you know what, we need to be better in the blue-collar ways. And I do think that this team is, whether it's enough to beat a team that's gone to the final three consecutive years, we'll have to see. Well, Mike, we really appreciate you coming on with us. It is great. You are uh, It's like you've done this before, actually, to be honest with you. <laughs> have you checked my hairline? It's not my first rodeo here, right? <laughs> actually, it's just like the Finland conversation, just way more official. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we just cleaned no, it up. We cleaned it up a little bit. Not, not as much clinking of glasses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. So thank you for being on with us. We really do appreciate it and uh, enjoy the playoff run. Listen, and... and all my friends in Columbus, uh, all the best. And uh, you know what? If there is a Connor Bedard party, you can damn well be sure I'll be coming down to it. So thank you. All right. Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Inside Edge. I'd like to thank Mike for being with us. And uh, don't forget, the Blue Jackets are back on the ice tomorrow night in New Jersey. They'll take on the Devils, 7 o'clock faceoff, 6.30 pregame coverage right here on The Fan and on Bally Sports Ohio. For Jody Shelley, I'm Bob McElligot saying so long and thanks for listening to the Inside Edge on 97.1 The Fan.